Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. And you've probably noticed, I mean, especially over the last couple of years, more and more people have been drawing attention to the achievements of women in history, right? Which is great. It's super awesome. I am, like, definitely highly stoked about it. But there's one thing that might be even more exciting, and that is highlighting the achievements of girls, people who have helped change the world before they even turned 20. That means they're, like, doing good stuff before they can rent a car or buy a bottle of champagne or whatever. And that is what Rad Girls Can is all about. It's the third book by Kate Schatz and Miriam Kleinstahl. They are our guests this week, and they said the inspiration for this book in particular literally came from a bunch of kids who just kept asking for it. Over and over, we heard kids asking if we could do a book about girls and people their age. And it kind of intimidated us at first because it's a really different kind of research. Our two other books have been focusing on women from history whose stories are, you know, a little fuller and more developed and there's scholarly research about them. But this book tells 50 stories of girls and teenagers under 20 who've done great things. And they don't even have like a whole lifetime to show for those accomplishments yet. Like that's crazy. Yeah. They've already done such cool stuff. And I think that in like the way that I ended up thinking about telling the stories and framing them was again less about their whole biography because some of them are 11, (laughs) you know, but um, more about the story of what they did, how they did it what they were trying to do. Um, And then also with each story, I tried to connect it to, um, you know, a larger movement or moment that readers could recognize. You know, part of me thinks it's really easy to flip through a book like this and think, man, these girls aren't even 20 and they've done so much cool stuff. Like, what do I have Mm -hmm. to show for it? (laughs) Our best hope for this book was that people would read it and think, oh, I can do something in my community. And we found that to be true on this book tour. There's been kids in the audience that will raise their hand and tell us something amazing that they've done, like getting um, plastic forks eliminated out of their school and getting a set of metal forks instead. But we also really intentionally included stories of girls that didn't necessarily win. Like, I think the common thread with all these stories is that these are all stories of girls who really believed in something and worked really hard and went for it. So there's a story about a young woman that ran for city council. Yes. And she Mary Pat win. Hector. Yeah. She was actually one of my favorites that I wanted you to specifically talk oh, about because cool. I thought she was so great. And I love that she didn't win because yeah. it, it didn't matter. She went for yeah. it. Yeah. And she right. lost by 22 votes. Uh, right. That's the other thing. And that she I think totally is really plans to that. keep running for office. Yep. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit of her background? Sure. So Mary Pat Hector was a college student at Spelman University in Georgia, and she was 19 years old, and she decided to run for city council um, in Stonecrest, Georgia. And 
she was excited to run. She had years of experience as like an activist and a leader and working in her community. And when she submitted her paperwork to run for council, uh, she was immediately challenged by an older white man who was also running for the, the seat who argued that she was too young to run. Um, and felt that that was inappropriate. She shouldn't run. He wrote this whole letter about it. And so they held a special session. She showed up with her family, all of her supporters. They actually decided unanimously that she should run. There's a victory. Yep, there's a a victory. Uh, And then she launched this great campaign. Her whole staff was all college students, and they knocked on doors. She ran a great campaign, and she didn't win. But the other cool victory in the story is that there was a, a state legislator in Georgia who heard about this and realized that the requi- required age for running for office was different in counties all over the state oh, um, sure. and actually ended up passing legislation to make it legal to run for office when you're 18 in any part of the state. I love that story because it's a small little example of this different victory that mm-hmm. no one would have anticipated. So now thanks to her... Anybody who's over the age of 18 uh, can run for office in Georgia. I think there are so many great lessons in that story. Also, just the fact that she lost by 22 votes, mm-hmm. right? Like, yes, it was a loss, but also 22 votes. Like, that's how important votes are. Right, right. And I think that when I'm writing these stories, I, I am, you know, I have a lot of motives. <laughs> you know, um, I, uh, you know, I wanted to convey in that story, like, the importance of voting. And I think you can tell people voting matters and they're just like, okay, fine. Yeah, sure. Or whatever. you can hear that story and like that might be a stick in people's head. Like, mm-hmm. wow, there was that woman who lost by 22 votes. Like, mm-hmm. man, this actually does matter. Yeah. Um, the story did end up going, you know, kind of viral. And so it got attention far outside of her small little um, part of Georgia. And she got tons of letters and emails from young people all over, you know, saying they wanted to run too. So again, that's part of how I think about these stories is showing how doing one small thing in your community, in your area, can actually have larger ripple effects um, far beyond what you anticipate. It's beautiful. So Miriam, do you have a favorite girl story in this book? Or is this like when people ask me what my favorite Harry Potter book and I'm like, why would you do that to me? (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like that. I mean, (laughs) I'm sitting here looking at a paper cut of Ruby Bridges And that's definitely one of my favorite stories in the book. Yeah, Ruby Bridges being one of the first African-American girls to go to integrated school after the board versus Brown versus the Board of Education. She walked by those hateful parents every day, spitting on her, taunting her, didn't miss one day of school. And just like that persistence and to be so young and strive for education in that way against... Adults. Uh, adults. That's the thing, adults you know? throwing so much hate her way, um, I just think is absolutely incredible and mm-hmm. inspiring. And, you know, gives hope and inspiration when there's, you know, political strife to keep going and, and, and to have your vision and work towards it, even if it's really hard and people are really mean. <laughs> <laughs> what I also really love about telling the Ruby Bridges story in the book, and she's one of the um, girls in the book who I think is a little more well-known and kind of mm-hmm. iconic. Mm-hmm. You know, she's a... And how old? She was like she six, was six, right? Yeah. yeah, she was in first grade. And, you know, there's an aspect to the story that most people don't know that doesn't get told. And I think this is actually similar for most of the civil rights narrative that we get is that we don't hear... I mean, we only hear about a few figures and we hear obviously a very one-dimensional aspect. And we also don't hear about the white people who were strong allies and did really important work. Um, not that that is something that needs to be centered by any means, but it really gets erased. There's and plenty of movies about that. Well, <laughs> but with this story, though, the only woman who taught her, there was a teacher that 
you know, she had one teacher for the entire year, um, this woman, uh, Barbara Henry. Uh, no other teacher in the school would, would teach a black child, and she well, stayed yeah. there with her. And I do think there is something really important about that narrative, not to make the white people the heroes in that story, but to indicate to white people now that it's really important to be allies, mm-hmm. you know, and that That's it's right. not just about, like, those other people who don't look like me and the problems they have. Mm-hmm. It's about all of us coming together and realizing that if other people have problems mm-hmm. and we're in positions of power, we can do something about yeah, it. Yeah, and that teacher knowing the significance of teaching the young Ruby Bridges, the only student in the class, and preparing, like, engaging, exciting lessons every day for her. It's amazing. So, Kate, what's one of your favorite stories in this book? You know, there's a lot of stories that are really, like, line up with the contemporary moment. So Mm -hmm. we have a story about um, a woman named Lorella Praeli came to the United States when she was 10 from Peru. She's, like, this brown-skinned, one-legged, Spanish-speaking girl in Connecticut and was completely taunted by racist children and really learned how to stand up for herself and speak out about it um, and then learned that she was undocumented and ultimately became one of the dreamers and really like learned how to come out of the shadows and, and be an incredible leader. And now Lorella Praley is actually the head of the um, immigration policy for the ACLU. So readers out there might recognize her name from emails that you get from the ACLU, um, but she's just doing incredible, necessary, powerful work in this moment. But I love that we get to include this story um, of her childhood. And, you know, I think there's so much power in building empathy with storytelling. And that's what I hope these stories can do is to take, you know, something like immigration or, you know, these incredibly complicated issues Mm -hmm. that kids might be hearing about, Mm -hmm. um, you know, undocumented people, immigrants. And, you know, here's a whole story about this girl. And it can really, I think, humanize it and, and give people a new perspective. I love that you don't skip over the difficult parts either, right? Because those are like actually what makes all of these strong girls exactly who they are and be able to do what they're able to do. Yeah. And that's, I think, what readers can relate to, you know, and then maybe even more than connecting with triumph and victory, people can connect with hardship and struggle um, and then hopefully be inspired by seeing how people pushed past that and did go on to, to some kind of triumph. But that's, I think, where it's relatable. After the break, more rad girls, plus advice for you on how to be one. I think the first step is to find your people. So to to find a community and if you have a good idea, just work to make it happen. You're listening to Nerdette. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. So how did you guys meet each other? Um, yeah, we met on Friendster. No, <laughs> um, we we have a lot of mutual friends is the answer. And um, I've known Miriam's work and her art from seeing it around the Bay Area for a long time. And I knew that she did a lot of portraits of social justice heroes. And um, I knew that I really wanted like a bold 
strong, cool Mm -hmm. aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And I wanted it to be something that I felt would appeal both to young people and adults. And um, I thought that Miriam's work um, matched that perfectly. And so I sent her a really long email about it. And she wrote back and just said, sure. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that sums you two up pretty beautifully. Thus the partnership was born. (laughs) So Miriam, how do you decide what illustrations to do for each of these girls? For our first book, Rad American Women, A through Z, I wanted to make sure that it wasn't all these, like, stern-looking feminists that looked, like, totally angry, you know? So so I thought about the people and tried to get expressions that, that would help tell the story that Kate was writing. That's way cool. It's hilarious to think about, like, not wanting to portray them all as stern, that had not occurred to me, but yeah. I could see how that's just super important well, in we terms wanted of to celebrate. Yeah, 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 I mean, just, some joy. Again, looking at this Ruby Bridges one in front of me, it's a federal marshal walking her into school every day, you know, and then there's kind of a sinister cop in the background. <laughs> <laughs> and when you make them, are these on computers or are you literally like hand cutting out? No, I use an X-Acto knife and a black piece of paper. Yeah. And a lot of people think they're laser cut or something. They look laser. I mean, they're so precisely if you, cut. if you look on the back radio audience, you can't see, but there's <laughs> pencil marks. So oh I draw on it and then I decide which parts are going to be white, and then I cut the white parts out. That's so cool. They're gorgeous. Another one of my favorites in the book is Amanda Stenberg. Will Mm -hmm. you tell her story a little bit? She's another contemporary one. She played Rue in The Hunger Games. She's in everything. She's an actor. She's a musician. She's a director. She's a comic book writer. She has an amazing comic book series about, like, a black girl fairy. Um, So cool. And I wanted to include someone who was more of like a celebrity um, and in particular someone who's been using social media um, in a really powerful way. She also has been really outspoken about race, uh, about cultural appropriation um, and also about gender gender and sexuality in this way that's pretty striking. And so we write in the story about how she really had to make a decision of should she continue to speak up about these things as a teenager? Was she risking her career? You know, and Right, because she, she was cast for this movie. She was 11, right? Mm-hmm. The reaction to casting a girl of color in this yeah. role was just insane. Like fans of The Hunger Games, who also happened to be racist, were mm-hmm. extremely angry that Rue was played by someone who wasn't a white girl, essentially. Yeah, despite the fact that in The Hunger Games, it's actually really specified that Rue had dark skin, she had dark hair, and yeah, people freaked out. And and she's talked about how that was really her first direct experience with, with, with racism and that kind of hate. But she really made a decision as a teenager to use her platform um, to speak up. That's uh, an aspect of culture that maybe isn't going to pop up in a lot of history books, you know, the the young celebrity and how they're using Instagram. But I wanted to put it in this book. I thought it was commendable also when she pulled herself out of the running for Black Panther. She was mm-hmm. going to be cast in that film. Hmm. And she, as a light-skinned African-American, felt like it wasn't her place to take that role. And so she stepped out of the running. It was fun to see her story in there in particular because, speaking of really good YA novels, we recently spoke with the woman who wrote Children of Blood and Bone, Tomi Adeyemi, and that racist backlash to the casting of Amanla as Rue was the reason why she wrote this really amazing blockbuster Mm. sci-fi trilogy that takes place in West Africa was essentially to be like, no, I'm going to make the next Black Panther. I'm going to put magic in it and all y'all are going to love it. So get ready. 
And and people have loved it. Yes, and it's she's great. like so young, and those books yeah. are doing so well. Yeah, she's like twenty two, I think. So she doesn't quite make the cut for Ooh, Red Girls. No, yeah, maybe in but, the sequel. But know, we do have there some. You go. We do have some young some young writers in here. Um, actually, I think maybe another story that I love in here is is Essie Hinton, mm-hmm. um, which a lot of people don't know that the Outsiders, the, uh, the classic the Outsiders, young adult yeah. novel, was written by a teenage girl. Yeah. Essie Hinton is a woman, and she wrote that book when she was a junior in high school in Oklahoma. And uh, used her, you know, they had her use Essie Hinton instead of Susan Hinton because no one would believe that a teenage girl could write a book like The Outsiders uh, in the same way that J.K. Rowling yeah. used J.K. Publishers continue to yeah, do that. Yeah, turns out. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So that's Still a fun happening. connection that we get to make with audiences when we talk about that because, um, you know, there are a lot of people that don't know that J.K. Rowling is J.K. because they didn't think uh, people would buy a book by a woman about a boy wizard. But they did. <laughs> Turns, <laughs> Turns out. Sold a couple. Sold a few. <laughs> Kate, in addition to all these contemporary girls, you also have some young women of history who maybe we've heard a little bit about but often kind of overlook. Yeah, we definitely have some more ancient people. Um, <laughs> you know, from ni- – well, we do have Mary Shelley. Yes, who's re- Frankenstein. Re- coming in with the 19th century. <laughs> Still, a lot of people don't know that Frankenstein was written by a teenage girl. Yep, 18. Um, but we also go way back. So we have um, we have Joan of Arc. Wait, so- she's real? Yeah, Joan of Arc was super real and super amazing. Um, but we also have like Kutaloon, who was Genghis Khan's great great granddaughter, oh. and she was the Mongolian wrestling princess, and she was known for that's my new favorite phrase. Right, she was like the baddest wrestler in the land, and uh, the story and legend goes that she uh, refused to marry anyone who could not beat her at wrestling, and if she won, she would get all his horses. Oh my so god! So she hence the most horses in the land belongs to horses this. In the land and she stayed single for several years and just beat everybody and then finally was like okay fine I'll get married and she picked the guy it's funny Um, how much I just love that story and and I also really like illustrating the ones where there's no source imageries. Yeah, how do you decide so, like what her nose looks like or well, whatever? Well, for her, um, I teach high school, so mm-hmm. I had one of this, my students pose for me. Oh, that's she so She was fun. wearing this outfit, and I was like, that looks like wrestling princess. <laughs> <laughs> so I had her pose like in a wrestling pose. Oh, my god! <laughs> I drew her. I love uh, that. Yeah. Does she know that she's in this oh, book? Totally. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good, because yeah. that's yeah, awesome. She's stoked. They are um, stoked. Oh, my gosh. So you're just using faces from your life in this book. Basically. Only for the, for the ancient, ancient ones. Only for the yeah. ancient ones. But I will say, just, when you get to just, the faces but just in case you're like, there's some, some really like scholarly listeners, I want you people to know that she does a lot of research on the, on the wardrobe outfits. and the outfits and the weaponry, because we know that there's going to be a kid oh my who gosh, is like, for sure. that is not what the sword would have looked yep. like at the time. So yeah. she's, we're, we're real sticklers with the uh, authenticity of the wardrobes. Yeah. It's just the faces. And yeah, the face on that one is my favorite Irish documentary maker. Daisy Asquith. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad you get to put some little Easter eggs in there. That's yeah. extra fun. Yep, there are. <laughs> so I wonder from each of you what your advice is to young women or young people who are interested in creating change in their household or at school or their community or, you know, in state government or, you know, whatever the scope of the change is. I think the first step is to find your people. Like, it's so fun to collaborate. It is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So to, to find a community and if you have a good idea, just work to make it happen. We do really try to focus on that in the book. You know, a lot of the stories are about individual girls, but 
we really try to emphasize how they worked with other people in their communities. Sometimes they worked with siblings, sometimes with teachers or coaches or mentors. You know, they none of them did it all by themselves entirely. And I think that that I think is a really, really important step. And Miriam, for people who really love making art with their hands, cutting things out with little, well, maybe not with X-Acto knives. I guess if they're really careful, that's fine. My daughter started cutting, doing paper cuts with an X-Acto knife at like four. Oh, so there you go. <laughs> Do you have advice about how to how to make your art your life? Like how have you managed to make that happen? Uh, just doing it all the time. Like I make something every day. And sometimes it's a paper cut for a book and sometimes it's a postcard to a friend. It's so true. Miriam makes stuff constantly. It's been super inspiring um, as we've collaborated on these books. You know, we're, when we travel together, we're in a hotel room and I'm like zoning out looking on Instagram. And I look over <laughs> and she's like doing a new paper cut and drawing. <laughs> well, thanks to both of you for coming in today. It was really fun to talk with you. Thank you very Likewise. much. We're happy to share the book oh, with your yay. listeners. Yes, I'm so excited. Thanks about for it. making a rad podcast. Oh, thanks, honey. Mm-hmm. Happy to do it. Anytime. If you take away one thing from this interview, I want it to be the importance of telling stories that involve not winning all the time, which also means doing stuff that you kind of suck at until you get really good at it, right? An example of that, I'm a little embarrassed to say this out loud, but I'm going to do it. I've been taking this hip hop dance class at my gym and like, I am seriously, I just feel so awkward in that room. I'm terrible at it. It's very hard. My brain is really good at word things. It's not so good at like moving around in space things, but it feels so good. Like the joy I get from getting through one of those classes is like nothing else that I experience. So just like Try a new thing and try to make yourself be okay with sucking at it because you're going to get better and that is going to feel really good. The show is produced by me, Greta Johnson, along with Bia Medias. Thank you, Bia, for all of your help today. And Justin Bull. We have a newsletter. You're going to love it. You can sign up for it if you go to our Facebook page and click on the blue sign up button. Our co-creator is Trisha Bobita, and our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. Nerdette is supported in part by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science and technology in the modern world. We have literally hundreds of other episodes I bet you'd like, including another interview with Kate Schatz. You can find that on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Many thanks to Cat 1990 for the delightful review on Apple Podcasts. I can't think of one thing more awesome than listening to Really Smart Women either. That's so sweet of you to say. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. What's so funny, Miriam? I keep joking that we met on Tinder and she doesn't think it's funny. <laughs> I keep saying that I swiped on her She art. said that at an event with a bunch of kids in the room. They don't know what it is. That's hilarious. Inappropriate author. I moment. think you two are more of a bumble pair than Tinder. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Macs. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.